today on the Bill Kelly Show on AM 900 CHML. Troubling news that uh, North Korea launched another missile uh, which uh, flew over the uh, northern part of Japan once again. Kind of thumbing your nose, I guess, at the United Nations and the United States for that matter as well. But uh, com- partner this with the, the information that we heard yesterday. Uh, the highest ranking Canadian officer at NORAD, that's the North American Air Defense uh, System, the partnership, right, that we have with the United States, well, uh, this highest-ranking official uh, has demolished a long-held political assumption by telling a parliamentary committee that the U.S. is under no obligation to defend Canada in the event of a ballistic missile attack, as uh, Lieutenant uh, General Pierre Saint-Amand was testifying before this committee yesterday, uh, which I think shocked an awful lot of people, not just at the committee, but I think right across the country, because we kind of thought that that was always the thing that we had in our back pocket when it came to, to international defense. Joining us to talk about this is Stephen Sabin, uh, Patterson Chair in International Affairs at the Norm Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University in Ottawa. Stephen, thank you so much for the time. It's good to have you with us today. My pleasure, Bill. Did, did this uh, uh, announcement, uh, the the statement from uh, from uh, Lieutenant General uh, Amon, surprise you yesterday, Stephen? It did, and particularly a reaction to it. Uh, the reality is, is that in any uh, matter of international relations, countries focus on their own country first. And so the United States is only going to focus on the United States first and everything else second. However, having said that, uh, the, the United States has lots of interests in play that would make them probably try to shoot down any missiles that North Korea would send Canada's way in the very, very unlikely uh, scenario where for some reason North Korea decides to attack Canada or decide, without attacking the United States or attacks Canada and the United States. Canada simply isn't really that much of a, a target for North Korea, so a lot of this is very hypothetical. Well, of course, but uh, you know, there's always the idea that, okay, they're going to shoot for Seattle and it lands in Vancouver. I mean, there's always, you, you don't know about accuracy in situations like that. Well, that's exactly the thing, is if they're shooting for Seattle and, and they hit Vancouver, the Americans are not going to wait to decide whether the missile is errant or not. They're going to do whatever they can to stop it uh, in case it does hit, uh, Seattle, just like they would aim at any missile that, hit, that they think is directly targeting Vancouver, cause it could hit Seattle. Uh, so for most of the usual targets anybody would attack, uh, the Americans would probably shoot at those missiles anyway, just in case they miss and hit the United States, because, again, most of Canada's cities are, are pretty close to the border. So maybe Edmonton or Calgary would be targets that might, the Americans might think a bit before responding to, but remember, in these situations, when the missiles are in the air, the Americans are going to have minutes, not not hours, to figure this stuff out, and they're probably more likely to launch their counter missile systems than not in case they are wrong about where these missiles are headed. I, here's what the thing that shocked me when I heard this yesterday, though, Stephen, is is why why are you waiting till now to say this? Uh, I remember, I guess, the heightened uh, concern that we had back in the days of the Cuban Missile Crisis, back around 1962. I was just a kid at the time, but. But, you know, we in Hamilton, I can remember, yeah, well, you're a target, the steel industry and, the, you know, the power stations, et cetera. So, you know, it could happen. And uh, and we had all these maps that we all saw in school, you know. The, but don't worry about it, guys, because, you know, those, the, the, there's this NORAD thing that's there, that's going to look after us. And if they ever fire missiles, they'll shoot them down before they get into this. Nobody at that time said, no, that's not true. Uh, so this apparently uh, is something that everybody at NORAD seemed to know, but I guess nobody in government seemed to know. Uh, well, um, I, I want to hesitate to, uh, to say that there's anything here because the reality again is that you know, Canada is in NORAD, so there is a defense. There are already defense agreements between Canada and the United States that 
the United States would be very likely to shoot down any missiles. The key word is obligation, that the United States is not obligated mm. to do so, but would be likely to do so. And the second thing is is that we have to get used to the same reality that occurred during the Cold War. The United States really had no ability to shoot down Soviet missiles during the Cold War. Uh, and so the United States was defenseless, essentially, and, the, and Canada was defenseless, essentially. And so... The, the new reality is mostly the same. North Korea is developing the ability to hit the, the United States and could hit Canada. And the United States might have some kind of ability that could potentially hit some of the missiles that head our way. The American system is not tested in reality. It, they've, they've had a variety of efforts to, te- to, te- to simulate things, but we don't know if it'll work. And indeed, one reason why neither the Japanese nor the United States try to shoot down North Korean missiles is because it could be very embarrassing if they tried and failed. So we have no assurance uh, that even if the Americans had uh, used their system, that it would stop anything. So we got to get used to the reality that the basic defense in all of this is the American commitment to attack North Korea if North Korea attacks us. I'm glad you brought that up because that was one of the things I did want to touch base with you on, on this discussion. Because uh, again, you know, I, I thought this partnership between the two countries, and and maybe that's too strong a word, but this relationship anyway. Uh, you know, there was the cruise missile test, which was very controversial at the time, of course, out in Cold Lake, Alberta. But we said, no, 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 this is all about you know the defense of North America, so we need to do this. And uh, even though the people seem to be upset about that, the government of the day, the Mulroney government, I guess it was, said, yeah, we have to do this because this is this is part of the deal. Uh, but we, the, the fear factor here is the is what you just touched on. We don't know that this defense system is going to work because it's never really been tested. And, uh, and the only way to test that, I guess, is under real circumstances, and you don't want to go there. Yes, well, that's the thing. And the reality is is Canada can't do anything about North Korea. It, it simply cannot do anything about North Korea. And that's very frustrating, but the United States has found that it cannot do a whole lot about North Korea either. Uh, and they have a little bit more leverage, a little more capabilities than, than Canada does. Um, again, the United States and Canada are allies. Uh, Canada and the United States have committed to the defense of each other. How that actually plays out in any scenario uh, will depend on the moment, on the context, and all the rest of it. Uh, I'd be less worried about uh, North, uh, North Korean missiles and more worried about Donald Trump if I were, were Canadian defense planners. What what but what is going on with North Korea? I mean, we had the other another missile test, of course. We we have uh, Kim Jong Un, of course, making the statement that he wanted to decimate the United States and turn it into a pile of ashes. And I understand there's some bombast and a lot of rhetoric involved in there. But uh, you know, when he's firing these things off, I mean, obviously the chances of something going wrong have increased exponentially because of this. Uh, uh, and I guess our concern at this stage is, as you just mentioned, is how is the U.S. going to react to that? Well, the, the thing is that what North Korea is trying to do is it's trying to set up a system where it has the ability to hit the United States directly. Uh, and there could be two reasons for this. One is they're trying to prevent the United States from trying to change the regime of North Korea. This has been one of the things that uh, the Americans have been saying for years, that we'd like to have a different government in North Korea. And how do you prevent that? Well, you prevent that by threatening American cities. So that's the, probably the larger reason why this, this stuff is going on. They've been very aggressive about it because the United States has made its own noises about, again, changing the North Korean government. And so this, this North Korean government feels vulnerable, and the best way to be invulnerable to American attack is to have nuclear weapons. This is sort of a lesson of Iraq. It's a lesson of Libya. It's a lesson of other countries that gave up their nuclear weapons uh, or didn't have any and then found themselves uh, attacked by a great power. This is a lesson of Ukraine, for instance. And so North Korea doing this makes some sense. Uh, 
the other way of th- thinking about this is that North Korea wants to have the ability to uh, make it harder for the United States to come to the defense of its allies. Though, so that if North Korea decides to attack South Korea, it now, the United States has to think twice about responding because will it really trade Seattle for Seoul? So that's the element, too. And and the U.S. response so far, of course, has been to ramp up military activity around the near the DMZ anyway. And, of course, in South Korea with military actions, essentially South Korean troops. But there's some U.S. folks involved in there as well. Is is that poking the bear when they do that? Uh, Well, the question is, how do you do this? Because you want to signal uh, signal commitment, but you also don't want to make the North Koreans fear that whatever exercise you're doing, whatever signal you're trying to send is not actually the first attack. And so when the United States sends a few uh, B-1 bombers in the vicinity of North Korea, the North Koreans might be reacting as if this is actually the, the attack. And, and the problem with North Korea's uh, defenses right now, it's equal with what systems, are they're very much in a use-them-or-lose-them situation, that if they think there's an attack, they may u- use them for fear they might lose them in a first strike. Uh, the United States' deterrent relationship with, with Russia is much more stable because the Russians really don't have to worry, nor do Americans have to really worry about a first strike because both sides have the ability to strike even after weathering a first strike. And, and that's the problem with a new country developing new nuclear weapons is, is they're not in that situation yet, and uh, things can be on a hair trigger. The United States, I, I would like to say, uh, it, it would never do first strike stuff, but we've seen that happen, of course. We saw it happen in the Middle East. We saw shock and awe. And, uh, whatever their justification was from the administration of the day, there was there were financial implications and ramifications to it as well. But aside from a regime change, is there any motivation, any any subtext uh, to the United States wanting to move into North Korea? Uh, I don't think the United States really wants to move into North Korea in any kind of way. Uh, what we'd like to have, what the United States would like to have, is not have to worry about North Korean threats to Japan and, and to South Korea. Uh, and so it would be nice if, if, if the United States and the North Koreans could work on a, on a deal uh, where aggression is not really being threatened. But, again, part of the problem is that North Korea is this strange uh, authoritarian regime where they survive basically by creating uh, a, an environment where their, their citizens think they're constantly under threat. And so they make threats, and that leads to response by the West to make threats. And so it just spirals and spirals. Uh, so you're not going to really see it very likely that we can do anything to assure North Korea and for North Korea to tamp down its rhetoric. It's just not in the way this relationship works. But it's certainly got the United States' attention. I mean, it was it was easy to dismiss North Korea before the military and the nuclear threat uh, simply because, okay, fine, they make a lot of noise, and, and Kim Jong-un is like that, and his father was like that. That's fine. But they're just over there. They're not really going to do anything. They're probably not going to go into the South, and they certainly are no threat to the United States. That dynamic has changed right now, though. I actually don't think it's changed that much. I mean, the big difference is, yes, they can hit the American homeland, but we've been obsessed about this for 20 years. And maybe the media hasn't always covered it, but uh, Bush, Clinton, Bush, Obama, Trump have all had to spend a fair amount of time in North Korea because we don't have an end to the, to the Korean War. It was a ceasefire. Mm-hmm. It's not an armistice. We haven't come to an agreement to how to divide North and South uh, Korea. And so North Korea has been doing all kinds of things over the past 70-plus years or, or so to mess around with its neighbor. And uh, we've been trying to assure our South Korean allies that nothing's going to go wrong and that we'll be behind them. And North Korea has continually developed arms. The nuclear weapons program is not new. They, they've been doing this since the 1990s. Their missiles uh, are not new. They've been developing these, again, for the past two decades. So that none of this is new. It's just 
a little more threatening, both because Kim Jong-un seems even a bit more insane than his, his father and other folks involved, and because now they have the potential to reach North America. But they've had the potential to kill hundreds of thousands of South Koreans and now hundreds of thousands of, of Japanese, and that, that, that's not new. On the surface, it, it, it appears as if China has so North Korea's back on this. Uh, uh, yet at the same time, some of the stuff we hear coming out of, of China and Beijing these days uh, is is actually, I, I think, contradicting that, where they, they seem rather upset with the actions that are going on in North Korea now as well. What, what is their role, and what, what's the, what, what, what action or inaction are, are they responsible for in this whole process? The, the problem with China is they have split interests. They, they would like for uh, North Korea not to be creating regional instability. On the other hand, they also don't want to be the ones who have to deal with the aftermath of a, of a North Korean collapse, because they would get tons of refugees, and they would also probably then have a unified democratic Korea, the inheritor of South, you know, whatever South Korea then becomes, on its own border. And that's something that they fought in the Korean War uh, to stop. They entered the Korean War explicitly to stop having the Americans and the South Koreans on the border with China. That was when they intervened. And so they don't want to have that happen now. And so they want North Korea to be stable and not go anywhere and not cause any problems. And they don't have a lot of leverage because, again, North Korea has the potential to cause some cost for China. So just as the United States has limited leverage, China may have a little bit more but it also has conflicting interests. But the United States seems to be looking at China to be the arbitrator here, and I, I don't get the sense they want to take that role on. That's the challenge, is that, that China really doesn't want to have a lot of responsibility for this. The Americans are looking anywhere and everywhere to try to get some help on this, and China would be the most likely actor to help. But again, uh, North Korea is a problem for a reason. It's a very, very difficult situation. North Koreans don't have much ties to the international economy. Their leaders are fine with having their people starve. And so the idea that we can impose costs on North Korea to change its policy is problematic when you have a, a regime that's unaccountable and is willing for its citizens to die. What's uh, <laughs> I, What I find interesting about this, too, is, I mean, the reaction after the uh, the first missile launch over Japan uh, was Trump announcing, of course, that, uh, that they were going to cut off any relations or trade, I guess, with any country that uh, is trading with North Korea. Uh, does he not realize that China is probably the biggest trading partner and you don't really want to do that? Not only China, there are a lot of European countries. Uh, anytime you expect uh, Donald Trump to know the facts of a situation, you're, you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> that pretty much covers it. Uh, we talked about China's role in this, Stephen, very briefly. What about Putin? I mean, he's. You, you wonder sometimes, you have this image in your mind of this guy sitting in Moscow right now, uh, and, the, and the world is his chessboard, and uh, whether it's Ukraine, whether it's uh, Crimea, whether it's uh, maybe what's going on in the, in the Far East right now. Uh, do, do they have an interest in what happens with North Korea? They have an interest, but it's not really their problem. Uh, so they're not really instigating anything. Uh, and they, have, they can have some influence on, uh, you know, some, they can participate in sanctions or whatever, but they, I don't think they mind the Americans being distracted by this. That makes all kinds of sense as well. Stephen, thanks as always. Great to get your perspective on this. appreciate the time today. My pleasure, Bill. Stephen Sabin, of course, who is the uh, Patterson Chair in International Affairs at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University up in Ottawa. Uh, and I, it's interesting to see how the elected officials up in Ottawa are responding to this. Uh, some uh, I watched some of the stuff on Twitter over the last uh, few hours about this, and some are suggesting that uh, that this is really an attempt to get the United States or get Canada rather uh, to join the missile defense program. Do you remember some years ago, of course, uh, George W. Bush asked the Canadian government to be a participant and a partner in that, 
And uh, Paul Martin, who was the prime minister at the time, uh, gave it a thumbs down, uh, much to the shock of the Americans. They didn't like that very much. And now there seems to be some talk about revisiting that whole idea. Uh, the government hasn't said no to it yet, uh, and that may well be uh, the first volley, understanding that uh, maybe forging stronger links with the United States when it comes to missile defense and North American defense uh, may be in Canada's best interest. That's going to be an interesting debate uh, when that starts happening up in Ottawa. And in the meantime, we'll watch with great interest to see what else Kim Jong-un has up his sleeve. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.